Digital marketing seems to be the mystery that most entrepreneurs struggle with, and real estate investors are no exception. The truth is, there are multiple avenues to success. Those experiences will be best shared by the guests on this podcast. My name is Jason Wright, and I would like to welcome you to Real Estate Investor Marketing Stories. What is going on? Jason Wright here, bringing you another episode of the podcast. This is episode number 23. And as usual, I have a great guest with me this week. We'll get into that shortly. But I wanted to share some thoughts with you today. So about a week ago, I found myself on uh, South Beach, Miami, underneath a shady umbrella on a nice hot day, looking out at the beautiful water. And it didn't take long, but had this thought. And I was like, what am I doing here? How did I get here? And I was there attending an event, but like, just a couple years earlier, even doing something like that wouldn't have been possible. And it wouldn't have been possible because wouldn't have go afford to even go. And it, it was an interesting thought just kind of on my journey as an entrepreneur. And as you work to try to raise capital and, and build your network of passive investors, I'm sure you guys uh, have had the same thing go through your head at one point. Or if you haven't, you may in the future, you stick with it. But the takeaway here is sometimes things that you don't think are possible, don't even seem abnormal once you get there. Like you forget that you ever felt that way. So you may be uh, thinking about a goal that you've got this year or maybe as long as it takes to get there in your business, whether it's raising so much money or getting so many investors under your belt or whatever the case may be. And you may go, man, I'm never going to get there. That doesn't feel possible. And when you, when you go through the day-to-day, of building the business, you know, it's, you have wins, you have losses every day, but the, the changes are, they're gradual, right? So you don't really feel the change like you think you will, even if it's positive. So it never feels and seems the way you think it's going to. That's been my experience. But as I sat there and just took it all in, I was like, man, this is not only is this possible, you know, it's just going to go up from here. While I was on that trip in Miami, I actually got invited to go to Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, and I'll leave in a couple of days for that. And I'll, I'll share another story around that on uh, the next podcast that you won't want to miss. It'd be very interesting, but it wasn't an easy trip to make happen. I'll tell you that. But anyway, things that may not seem possible to you today will someday seem normal, and you will probably forget you ever felt that way. Kind of a weird takeaway. But if you've been there and you've experienced that, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, you'll see. You'll see. So don't ever let too big of a goal scare you from trying. Because I promise you, if you go after it and you stay after it, you'll get there. All right. This week, I am speaking to an awesome guy. His name is Mark Updegraff. had the privilege of meeting him face-to-face in uh, February of 2023 at Race Fest in Louisville. Good guy. Big bearded guy. Uh, he is the founder of Updegraph Group Realty Services and the CEO of Raise Capital as well. And he's been in the real estate investing game since uh, 2008. So he's one of those uh, battle-proven veterans that uh, got in where t- when times were tough and he's still going. So it's been a while. So uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. I'm sure you will as well. Without any further hesitation, let's jump into it. What is happening, Mark? Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for having me on, Jason. Yeah, no problem at all. So I think, I don't know, maybe you've shared this with me in the past. I'm not remembering it if you have. So I'd love to hear 
How did you get started in real estate investing? What's that story like? Yeah, it's a pretty simple story. I just bought a house. You know, I was uh, getting my master's degree and working full time. So I was pretty busy and I had always done a lot of different side hustles over my life. And, you know, I did enjoy the kind of entrepreneurship and I decided to take the plunge, get a rental property. This was in 2008 where, you know, the sky was falling and everybody thought I was nuts. You know, my parents, my friends, my colleagues, they're all like, yeah, dude, this is probably not the best time for you to jump into real estate, but it was really the best time possible to jump into real estate. And I got a house in the South Wedge, which was this neighborhood that had been pretty repressed for a long time, but it was boxed in geographically with some nice surrounding neighborhoods. And, you know, we had the river to the West to kind of block it from the more blighted neighborhoods. So I, I went ahead and purchased a property there and, you know, as a young person, we could kind of see that it was becoming more popular. You know, there's a couple of restaurants that went in, a couple of bars that were very trendy and just kind of like obscure. Uh, so we planted our flag there and I fixed it up myself with the help of a couple of friends. You know, it was a small purchase, $55,000. Uh, back then you could do 90-10 financing. I ended up getting seller's concessions. So it was seventy seven grand out of my pocket to purchase this thing. And then I probably put another 10 grand into it, you know, half of that being my sweat equity. And I leased it up really, really easily, you know, for 925 bucks. And it was a pretty hefty cash flow, you know, given the purchase price and that rental rate. And um, after I did that, I was kind of bored. I was like, what am I going to do with this extra time? You know, I spent all that time renovating it. And my wife, she was okay with it. It was before we had kids. And I kind of gave her my plan of building this passive income portfolio. So I just went back out and, you know, saved up enough money to buy number two. And my whole focus was saving as much money as I possibly could and then putting it back into real estate. So that's how I got started. You know, I carried that W2 job for a while until I got laid off. At that point, I had like 15 properties and I pivoted into real estate full time because I just was obsessed with it and really loved it. That's awesome, man. So do you still hold uh, single family homes in your portfolio? Yeah, I'm a hodler of real estate, so I don't really sell anything. I've sold a few over the years. You know, I've done some uh, fix and flips just because they didn't really fit into the buy and hold model, but I've also sold a couple that I should have kept. And every time I sell one that I should have kept, I'm like, I got to think real carefully about, you know, what am I doing? What is my end goal? So now I'm very deliberate if I am going to sell something. It's one that really can't be positioned as a rental easily. And it's, you know, it's like an opportunity where I can't pass it up because I have the opportunity to make maybe, you know, $70,000 or something, but I'm not going to do a flip if I'm only going to make five to 20 grand. It's just not worth my time. That's interesting. Yeah. I've met a lot of people who will do flips, like you say, for, you know, five, six grand. And it's just like, is it really worth it? You know, cause there's obviously a risk with it and a downside to it. So interesting. And I'm just curious based on your background, do you think if somebody's wanting to get into real estate investing now, April of 2023. You think single family is still a good place for people to get into? Well, the trend recently has been towards these short-term rentals and they're in vogue. Lots of people are doing them. So the people that are entering the space today, that's probably where they're going to gravitate just because yeah. the returns tend to be a lot higher. You know, I'm a little cautious given that we could be going into a recessionary environment where there could be a major pullback on disposable income for people that want to use those. But I think ultimately, if you're pretty strategic about what you're doing and where you purchase and how you underwrite, the Airbnb VRBO model is going to be valid. You know, get near a university, get near 
someplace where there's events that are very popular and you should be okay, but your one-off Airbnb where you just buy it randomly in some little town that doesn't have a whole lot going on, I think you could be in trouble. As far as singles, just for a, a longer-term lease, it's getting tough. I mean, it depends on where you're you're underwriting your deals. If you go into an inner city, you can probably find some stuff that makes sense. The inner city properties are going to come with their own bag of problems that you've got to deal with. So I recommend people that want to get active in real estate to definitely buy something and then use that as like a benchmark and then you know see how it performs and then try to beat your benchmark moving forward. Because really, we operate in a marketplace and we can't change the marketplace. It is what it is. So yeah. you're either participating in it or you're not, you know, but if you want to be an investor, you've got to participate. So there's really no way around it. Uh, that's really interesting what you phrase that. I mean, I think for entrepreneurship in general, that's really good advice. The market decides what's going on and what they want and it can change on a dime. So yeah, it's beautiful. All right. What asset classes or markets do you focus on now and why? I've focused on multifamily my entire career. So I'm still fairly focused on that. You know, we've got a property management company where we manage about 450 units. So we're really good with underwriting multifamily deals. I also like self-storage and industrial space. You know, my father is uh, owner operator of a transportation company. Uh, so I've got some experience in that. And, uh, you know, I like to, to play with those numbers and to look for those opportunities as well. Okay. Any particular markets that are of interest to you or are you market agnostic? I'm market agnostic, but I like to be able to see the properties, you know, when I'm making a buy decision. And so I could travel to see them, but if I can get to where I need to be via car, that's easy for me. So I do a lot of underwriting here in upstate New York. And then, you know, I'll travel to see family and underwrite stuff where they are. I've got family in Pennsylvania. You know, my sister used to live in Tucson. So I've got a really good handle on how that market is all interlaid. And then I have another sister down in New Orleans, so I can go down to visit that area as well. Very cool. Very cool. All right. What uh, simple marketing strategies and tactics allowed you to initially get investors into your world? What worked for you? So it's really that providing valuable content for people. And you know, if you're somebody that's starting out and you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't really have any valuable content to provide, it really starts right where you're at asking questions, right? So anything that you're curious about, there's going to be other people that are trying to figure out the same thing. So early on in my career, you know, I was on bigger pockets and I just asked all these experts questions and luckily they were kind enough to reply to somebody like me. They'd take time out of their day and, and kind of help you along the way every time you had, had an issue that you faced that you couldn't figure out. And so, you know, for years I would go in and I would ask questions, you know, more advanced questions, but I would also put content up there about things that I was learning in the field. So, you know, I would be like, oh, this is how you scrape and paint and prime a window that has lead paint safely stuff like that, you know, this easy stuff that I was doing that I could give some value back to the community. So it was kind of uh, asking questions, figuring stuff out. And then that's part of the conversation that, you know, you were responsible for because you came up with the question and then giving some value back on things that you're learning on your own and just building that wealth of knowledge and giving yourself some credibility. That's going to bring people into your sphere. They're going to reach out to you directly and ask how they could work with you. You know, when I look at my ROI on different um, spends that I've done for marketing, Bigger Pockets has always been one of the most affordable lead magnets or lead generators. They have a free platform. You can pay for some, you know, extra leads or whatever, but I've never needed to. I've just relied on building myself up on that platform and then getting those organic free leads back to me. And so at the end of the year, when we look at our stats and we look at our sales and we look at where our business is coming from, 
that's been one of the major sites and it's cost literally zero dollars. Uh, so I think you can't beat that. Yeah. Yeah. What about, uh, you know, the big trend or a couple big trends in this industry today, LinkedIn podcast, are those things working for you at all? Are you fans or what are your thoughts on those? I'm relatively new in the uh, LinkedIn space. You know, I've been consistent for about two months early on, did what I was telling you about with the bigger pockets and stuff. And then I just kind of hunkered down into my own business. And, you know, I built those out. I built out my payroll. I built out my different organizations and I didn't focus on that very much. So I'm back at it now. I have received a few leads through LinkedIn. And what I tell you, I notice is that even if you're not getting leads, people are seeing your content. Oh, yeah. For instance, I went, yeah, I went to a, a little meetup for the city. They're thinking about doing a bid in Rochester. And of course there's people on both sides, people that want the bid, people that don't want the bid. And then I came up to a guy after who had said, oh, you know, I'm an active developer. I'm building this building over here. And I, I just wanted to network with him. So I went up, introduced myself. He's like, oh, I know you. I know you from LinkedIn. And so that was kind of cool. Yeah, it is cool. I've had that happen before. This has been a long time ago. I used to have a different podcast. I was in a grocery store in my town of 11,000 people. And I was talking to my wife and this person turned around and she's like, you're Jason Wright. And I was, who are you? And she's, I know that voice. I listen to your podcast. I was so weird. You know what I mean? So one thing I always tell people is, you know, regardless of what you're doing online with social media or content, there's so many more people watching and listening than you think. It's crazy. There's a lot of people that never comment. They don't want you to know they're there, but they're always watching. And it's, it's interesting. So uh, you guys don't know this. April Fool's a few days ago, Mark popped up in my feed on LinkedIn and had this long post about how he was giving up. And I was like, are you kidding me? It's been like a couple of months, bro. And I get to the bottom and it's like April Fool's. And I was like, thank God. I was like, I've met Mark face to face. Like, it didn't strike me as a guy's going to fold that quick, but... To be honest with you, I've seen a lot of people come and go as entrepreneurs. I'm sure you have as well. And most people's problem is they give up too soon. So I was come on. But thank God that's not real. So good stuff, man. All right, changing gears a little bit. What would you say is your biggest mistake or regret in regards to your marketing so far? Do you look back on something and go, what was I thinking? It's probably spending too much money. I've run a brokerage, so I've got a lot of people that I need to feed, right? And so it's real easy to just shove money into the system and then get results back out. But what happens is when you're handing out leads to other people, they don't have as much respect for you know how much you've had to spend or how much time you've had to nurture your systems and build what you have to get those leads. And they're willing to just kind of like cherry pick what they want and not work the rest of it, which is not, not a very good system. You know, when I started out, any lead that I got, I, I knew how precious it was and I would work it until the bitter ends. And that's what you have to do if you want to be a top producer. You can't just expect somebody's going to hand you a bunch of leads. You're going to go through, cherry pick what you want, and then forget about the rest because it's just not economically viable for somebody like me to spend all that money on those leads and then have people that approach sales with that mentality. So, Gotcha. That makes sense. All right. A little uh, gear shift again. Could you share a story with us something you've experienced along your journey of real estate investing that you haven't really shared publicly before. They could be funny, happy, sad, whatever you want. We're just trying to get to know the authentic Mark in a way that other people don't know you, maybe. Yeah, sure. So luckily I've listened to your podcast for a while, so I knew yeah, that it was just coming. <laughs> yeah, there's so many good stories and we've thrown around a lot of ideas. I don't know which one to give you, but I guess I'll give you this one. We had a woman that you know, she was moving up from down south and we placed her 
and you know she had great credit she had great references she was she was an ideal tenant and she had chosen this spot in particular where she wanted to live she really liked how the apartment looked and we kind of cautioned her we said you know this isn't really the best area we know you're not from rochester so we just want to warn you that you know we can show you some other options in some different neighborhoods where it there's a little less crime and you know it's a little safer because we know you're you're a single woman and we just, we want to look out for you. She said, no, no, no. She's like, come on, I'm from the hood. I know what I'm doing. Don't worry about me. This is where I want to live. And we're like, okay, you know, we needed to fill the unit. So we weren't going to really argue her to death out of it. And uh, we placed her in the unit and everything was going fine. And one day when she was leaving the building and we've got this all on camera, somebody just came up and smashed her in the head with a bottle right, right over the head. And she literally went crazy. Like she had some kind of brain damage and she ended up smearing her own feces all over the building, all over her unit, all over the common areas and the back of the store door. It was all because she chose to, to live in this suspect area. I she never say. recovered from that blow to the head. She never recovered. I didn't see that coming. Wait, that's not normal doing that? I didn't know that wasn't normal. That's not good. I, all right. right. Note to self, no more feces smearing. You know what's funny? This is going to take a gross turn. When I was in high school, I went to three different high schools. My area was growing, so they're always like rezoning this, whatever. But I think it was my freshman year that there was like a three-week period where somebody was like writing profanity in the walls in the bathroom with poop every day for like three weeks, and they couldn't catch them. And I was like, what's wrong with these people? Like, why would you do that? So, yeah, she sounds like she lost her mind, but... Uh, the bottles don't break over the head like they do in the movies, do they? No. Like get hit Definitely with a brick. Not. <laughs> That's yeah. a crazy story, man. I mean, for sure. <laughs> I mean, we just we felt so bad for her because she had no family here and like nobody knew her, but we knew her pretty well because you know we interviewed her, we screened her, we got to know her as she was moving in, and just uh, the total one eighty flip in her personality and and her psychology it was just insane. That's crazy, man. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> All right. Let's say you talk to another capital raiser just wanting to get involved in the game again, focused on marketing. What piece of advice would you offer them? Yeah. So I actually have a, a great little snippet for you here. Knowing I'm coming onto the show for the last couple of weeks, I've just gone into all these different capital raising systems and I've put in my info. And really, I had the aha moment when I was at Raise Fest and you know talking to people. When I would introduce myself, I'd say, Hey, you know, I'm I'm new in the space but I'm thinking of coming in as an LP because I've got some cash that I'd like to invest. And I think it would be wise just to go through the system from that perspective to, to kind of figure out what's going on. And so I was really, really surprised that there was a complete lack of follow-up from a lot of people as far as like getting me to be one of their people that have some cash and want to invest it. And so I took it a step further knowing I'm coming on the show and I went into all these different platforms that people have set up that they've spent so much time crafting the perfect system to capture the lead so they can monetize it and get investors. And I've entered all my information. I've told them how much money that I had to invest. I've given them my phone number, my email address. And I uh, guess how many people have called me in the last two weeks. I probably put in two to three dozen different systems Zero. of my information. Zero. One person. person. One person. Yeah, crazy. It's crazy. The the number one question I ask uh, people like yourself and entrepreneurs in general, if they t- you know say somebody sells a high ticket service, what happens if you don't make a sale in the first call? What happens next? I ask people that all the time, and usually the answer is nothing, which is crazy to me. Or I follow up with them if I can, but I'm real busy with other stuff. I'm like, 
what is wrong with you? Our entire business is a call, and then my marketing automation closes the deals. And I had a guy last yeah. week go, bro, that'll never work. And I was just like, okay, thank you. But it's just like if everybody did that, you would have more investors. You would make more sales, blah, blah, blah. It's just follow-up and touch points. It makes a big difference. But so many people are resistant. They want to focus on their social media, but they don't want to focus on their back end. They, want, they don't want to actually have a system in place where they say, that Mark guy said he had money and he was ready to do something. Let's get him going. Yeah. What? It's insane. So, yeah, I think the personal phone call is what's missing, you know, because I, I have a sales background. I've been really looking forward to coming on here and talking about sales. Yep. And, you know, we crush the sales and it's because we're proactive and we call the person, we get to know them and we build that relationship. Yep. And it looks to me in the capital raising space that you get into the system and then they want you to book a call. They want you to go in, click their calendar, schedule a call. And what if your prospect just, he's not that person. There's a lot of clients out there that are never going to book a call. They'll put their information in, they'll let you call and they'll answer the phone, but they're not going to, they're not going to book a call with you. So, you know, one of the people that I went into their system, he's actually in an accountability group with me. And during our last meeting, he was just, you know, moaning about how he had to come up with $2 million and he had to go and he had to call all these people that are in his book. And so I'm like, I'm going to go into his system and I'm going to drop the information and see if he makes a call. He didn't make the call. Oh boy. And you know, Hopefully he had some kind of alert set up. You know, when you go in there, you type up that information. I would imagine there should be. So from my perspective, when you get an alert like that, even if there isn't a booked call, there should be some follow-up with like a real phone call. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the Zoom call, like video, even if people hide, which most people these days don't. Like a year ago, half the people hid. Most people show their face. But if I'm on video, it gives me a huge advantage because they're, you know, looking at me, judging me, feeling me out. But if I can get on a video call and then I can follow up with two-way text, it is the most phenomenally effective thing in the world. I don't know what it is, but some people will never tell you on a phone call or an email what they'll tell you a text. It like changes the mentality of the person you're speaking to. The barrier for them to drop their guard is very low. Like people just open up. It's amazing. I'll get these paragraphs and texts and I'm like, I had no idea. Okay, if you want to talk here, let's talk here. It's just amazing. So yeah, these are all things that people should do, but it really comes down to effort. If you want better results out of your business, try harder. Sounds crazy, but that's what we're talking about here. And systems, because you know, the one call that I got was from a bigger company that has the right system in place. They have the right lead capture system where you know they've got somebody that's hungry that needs that lead and that wants that lead. You yep. know, where maybe you know some of these smaller capital raisers they just don't have the right system in place. Yeah, and the other thing is, I think a lot of people are overwhelmed. Like you have a lot of solo entrepreneurs trying to raise capital. And if they have a W-2 and a family as well, it's, I've been there, they're spread thin, right? So I totally get it. I totally get it. If somebody, you know, fills out a new investor type form and they're interested in going, you can easily create notifications anywhere you want them. Phone, email, text, Slack, et cetera. Like you say, the hungriest people pick up the phone and call and nurture them with a link to book a call. Like we're going to get them somehow, but just that effort. And if the first call doesn't go anywhere, what happens next? Like it's really important. You have a plan for that. So good stuff, man. All right. We are recording this early April, 2023. As you look forward to the rest of the year, what are you most focused on in your business? Well, a lot of people are pencils down and in my market, it's pretty similar. You know, the sellers have not capitulated to the current interest rates. So it's, it's really tough. We see price tags out there that are just, they're not going to go anywhere. 
yeah. on the multifamily front. So I'm looking at some land that I already own to develop that into self-storage, yes. industrial and, and regular self-storage. Very nice. If anybody watching or listening wants to get more info about you or learn more about what you're doing, how can the best do so? I'm at raisecapital.com, R-A-Z-E, capital. So you stack up all this cash and then you knock it down when you deploy it. There you go. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. It was great. Hope it was a good time for you as well. Yeah, it was awesome. All Thank right. you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the show. I had a great time making it, and I hope you really enjoyed yourself listening to it. If you want to keep up with all things Real Estate Investor Marketing Stories podcast related, I encourage you strongly to go to reimarketingstories.com and signing up for our podcast newsletter. We will simply keep you up to date with what's going on at the show, new episodes, and things like that. reimarketingstories.com So hopefully today's episode and the other episodes that you'll listen to will remind you that as a real estate investor, everybody starts at the beginning, okay? Um, our guest today and the other guests that you will hear on the show will share their real story, right? They'll tell you what worked, what didn't work. And I want you to remember one thing if you remember nothing else today. It's possible for you to, okay? Never stop going and keep following your passion. Finally, today's show has been brought to you by CapitalRaisingAutomations.com. If you're an active capital raiser and you're ready to learn the three areas that are holding you back from raising more capital, I strongly suggest you check out CapitalRaisingAutomations.com. Check out our free 10-minute video there, and you let me know if it doesn't provide you value. I'm sure it will. All right, thanks again for listening to the show this week. Hope to see you next time. Take care.